But I think increasingly companies are starting to be people first. Um, and especially for agency, um, you know, we are at PhD. A product is our people, right? They're our representation of what we do. Um, they build relationships with our customers. If they do great work, then our customers, our clients are happy. And then, of course, that reflects itself in, in, in the financial performance. I think being a people-focused company is probably really important these days. I think my definition for a startup is just a temporary organization that you keep searching for the problems and you are obsessed with your customers. What are the pain points? And in this transition, you are building up a solution that fit into that market needs, right? So you're building port market fit. So I would define startup as this mindset rather than counting number of people or counting by the number of years that you found a company. Welcome to the fifth episode of a Like Audience Ad Tech podcast, where we discuss the latest ad tech trends and industry insights in a series of interviews with industry leaders. I'm Jessica, the director of the brand creators of boutique agency creating thought leadership content for tech companies, and I'm hosting the podcast today. So we've invited Lauren Slow, the managing partner at PhD Media, a premium media planning agency, and Bosco Lab CEO of a Like Audience to share with us their insights on how they lead and build successful teams and foster company culture, especially during the pandemic. So let's jump right in. Lawrence, can you share with me your background, what's your current role, and what's your experience in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, thank you so much for inviting me here on a lovely Friday morning uh, to your offices. It's beautiful. Uh, great to be here. So I'm the regional managing partner for PhD, and uh, I manage the HSBC business for Asia Pacific. I've also done things at uh, companies such as Marriott, where I helped them with their e-commerce strategy for um, Asia as well. And then uh, TransUnion, which is a credit bureau here in Hong Kong, um, and various other roles within agencies in, in, in the past. Um, one thing I might share as well, which really helps kind of put all of my, you know, put everything into perspective, is I'm a CrossFit enthusiast, <laughs> I quite like uh, fitness and uh, it really helps kind of guide me in uh, whatever I do, both kind of professionally and for my own personal. That's amazing. And what about you, Bosco? I'm Bosco. I'm the CEO and a co-founder of uh, Like Audience. We have been around for six, almost seven years now um, since we founded the company, and we are very excited to these uh, episodes uh, because we would invite our friends, you know, industry connections uh, to join us, to be, um, to give some thoughtful um, sharing about what is the latest trend. And I think this episode is very unique because we are actually having uh, some more general topics about, um, you know, in the post-pandemic, uh, what is evolving in the industry and also culture and uh, leadership as well. So uh, thanks again, Lawrence, for being our honorable guest this episode. So talking about culture, um, I think it's interesting that Lawrence, you have uh, a big company with a lot of people, and then Moscow, you have more of a startup. Um, so I wonder, what's the difference when it comes to building teams, and what are your values when it comes to empowering teams? Uh, maybe Lawrence, you can start first. Yeah, sure. Um, I think first. 
and and you know I've really I've, I've done a lot of observations throughout my my career, um, and you know there's different types of companies. You know, there's companies that focus on customers first, right? Um, and that's that's probably where like we hear that old phrase, the customer is always right. We probably grow up with a lot of that. Um, there's also companies that focus on shareholder value, right? And you can kind of see through their kind of uh, uh, quarterly reports, you know, where their focuses are. But I think increasingly companies are starting to be people first. Um, and especially for agency, <laughs> you know, we are at PhD. Our product is our people, right? They're our representation of what we do. Um, they build relationships with our customers. If they do great work, then our customers, our clients are happy. And then, of course, that reflects itself in, in, in the financial performance. I think being a people-focused company is probably really important these days. Um, and, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I think people first just really simply it's, um, you know, a company cares about its employees you know, mm-hmm. and, and wants to help them succeed, you know, in whatever they do. Uh, simple explanation. I really like how we frame that from, I think, because in the old days, it was customers was first, and then it was shareholders, and now we're coming into a generation where it's very much about people. Um, what about you, Moscow? Is there any differences for startups and smaller teams? Well, uh, first of all, startup, we should not define it as like the number of years that the company started, nor the number of people uh, in, in, in the company. So I think my definition for startup is just a temporary organization that you keep searching for the problems and you are obsessed with your customers. What are the pain points? And in this transition, you are building up a solution that fit market needs, right? So you're building port market fit. So I would define startup as this mindset rather than counting number of people or counting by the number of years that you found a company. Even I will put startups in corporates, right? You can have um, multiple startups or you name it as an innovative department within a company. So that would be your driving factors of what is the latest problem in the market and how you would keep being innovative. So I think the culture is really the fundamental um, definition because at the end, people are unique, right? How you create a team that is agile enough to share the similar culture and the mission, even within PhD or even within the like audience. That is how I see culture. And that is how I see startup. Even Lawrence would build a startup within PhD. I really like that um, explanation because you're right. Uh, you know, PhD is a fairly large advertising agency, but a lot of times the, the team itself, which is kind of like a small team within the wider company, can have its own culture. In my previous experience in TransUnion, where we actually met um, and, and did some work there, you know, I was I was tasked to build out a consumer division which was very different from the traditional B2B business for TransUnion. And so we had our own culture. It was almost necessary to kind of build quickly and, and, and try to get product, you know, our product out to the market. You know, one thing I will add on culture, and I, I think it's um, important as your organization grows, you kind of need to also define what, you know, how can you define your culture, I guess is a good way to put it. And um, that comes down to your values, right? Every company is different. But when you think about it, like as a media agency, there's many media agencies. We have lots of competitors. We roughly do the same thing, <laughs> right? So what sets us apart? It's how we do it. 
you know, the, the, the values that our people embrace. So for example, like uh, PhD uh, has like five values that uh, we'd like our people to embody. And it's something like um, courageousness, uh, curious, uh, open, uh, creative, and collaborative. And so, you know, that helps us understand, well, okay, these are the types of values that we want to promote within our people. And then we can start structuring our kind of, um, well, you can call it like a retention strategy or employee program. We call it employee experience. And we can structure our employee experience to help kind of bring those values out. Because then we know when they're representing PhD and they're talking to our clients, you know, that hopefully some of that value comes through. And that sets us apart from, from our competitors. I'm just interested as well. Could you give a little more concrete examples of how we translate values into actual programs for employees? So is it like your initiatives or is it just in everything you do and say? Totally. Um, a real, real simple one, um, just because we have lots of programs. And actually, they started last year because of the pandemic, but PhD as an organization is like doubling down on our employee experience efforts. But a really easy one is let's say, um, let's say you want to run an employee of the month program where you show recognition to some of your great employees for the great work that they're doing. You can structure, um, you know, the, the nominations around these values, right? And so therefore you're not only promoting people that are doing great work, but aligning them to your values. But as time goes on, people understand the values more and then so they portray them more. So it's kind of like this feedback cycle. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, uh, but that could be like one simple execution of that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what about you, Bosco? Would you like to talk a little bit about values at a live audience? Yeah, sure. Speaking about, about values, um, I think the most important one is about innovation and impact. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would see from a solution perspective, oh, you have a great solution, so you are innovative enough and you are creating impact in the industry. However, I think our companies spend actually more time on discussing the problems than spending time on solutions. Don't get me wrong, I think we, we actually spend a lot of time on solutions, but I want to stress on this about understanding the problems. Is the problem big enough or valuable enough to be solved? Um, how many people um, is actually benefiting from uh, getting a solution because of this problem. So it is actually a formula by the delta of your impact times the number of people being impacted. So this is the overall impact um, to the industry, right? So we actually see how big is the problem, then it would deduce how big is the opportunity, and further down is how many people pay for these opportunities or pay for the solution to this problem. So we always start with a problem. And I think this is in the DNA of a like audience. Um, a lot of clients, they come to us, um, they want A, B, and C. It is so straightforward for any account managers to fulfill their needs. Okay, so I have to deliver A, B, and C. But I would have my team to ask another question before we deliver the A, B, and C. It's actually... What, what is the problem, right? How are you solving this at this moment? We may have something else other than A, B, and C, maybe something D that the clients have never thought of. So this is um, in our DNA on always asking the clients, what is your problem? 
how you're solving it at the moment before we actually deal with APS. Mm. So sort of like training your team to think of uh, solutions from the client's angle and train them to have that kind of mindset, right? Yeah, um, because if we start with saying, okay, I have A, B, and C, and we start with this, it is very um, like a salsa pitch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to actually think uh, in the boots about uh, what is the exact problems. So we want to partner with our clients first to uh, think on their side what they really need rather than selling A, B, and C. Oh, by the way, we have B, F. It's more like the flip side, so we start with the problems. Easier said than done. It's kind of like a mix of, uh, you know, the science is straightforward, but it's the art of being able to do that, like, eloquently, right? That's yeah, easier said than done, but absolutely. So you mentioned innovation as one of your core values. When it comes to the industry now, especially in the um, media planning, at buying, there's a lot of changes. Um, how do you navigate around finding talent and, and new skills, right, with that can cope these changes, especially with the rise of Web3 and all these new technologies? Is it difficult to find people? <laughs> um, yeah, I can, I can take this one first. Um, you know, this it's kind of always changing. This reminds me when I first got to Hong Kong, like 10, 16 years ago. Um, I think at the time, you know, websites were just getting put up. So we were looking for talent that, were, that knew how to do digital marketing. Um, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, you know, we're, we're currently in this space of data and analytics where companies are, you know, we now understand the value of data and now we're trying to figure out how to handle it, manage it, ex- explore it properly uh, and utilize it, right, for, for whatever benefits. Now everyone's talking about Web3 because of the blockchain, crypto and nfts um there's web3 agencies popping up a lot of people say you know it's coming some people say it's not here yet um no one knows but it feels eerily similar to when uh, websites first came about uh, in, the, in the early 2000s dot com. so i digress but you know finding talent has always been um kind of an issue um but i think you know if you if you know the type of skill sets that you require, they don't have to have, you know, hands-on experience. Like no one's going to have two to three years of experience in Web3 right now, uh, but they could have kind of parallel experience that's applicable to the type of jobs, right? So, you know, if we look at what's to come in Web3 in the media planning space, you know, we see a lot of potentially decentralized uh, media supply chains, um, and which would probably require a lot of the same skills we do today. But then what do we really need? Maybe we just need someone that's a little bit more curious so that they go and explore these new kind of uh, media environments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not easy, but it's always changing. That's for sure. <laughs> that's optimistic yeah. when you put it that way. It makes finding uh, new people to fit this new jobs much easier than finding, like you said, finding someone with specific experience in blockchain, right? What about you, Bosco? I know you're very interested in blockchain technology and all that, so... Do you have any comments on hiring people in this industry? I don't wait as much um, on the skills that, I mean, the hard skills Mm -hmm. as the person's passion during my hiring uh, process. The point I want to bring up is actually the skills are actually so 
um, um, what I mean is that like the differences of the hard skills among people are actually very minimal or insignificant. Like skills are learnable. Imagine like five years ago when everyone uh, thinks that was the year of mobile in the ad tech industry. And if you are very talented in building the SDK, but then these skills is widely, you know, applicable right now that it is, or I wouldn't say it would become obsolete, but um, people may learn these skills down the road. What I value is about the person's passion uh, or how they are devoted in this problem to think about uh, or actually how good they understand the problem is. Because I think the variance between people is actually the passion, what they wish, right? Um, and this is how we want to find the right fit of candidates that align with existing what our like audience would eat rather than on the hard skills. Uh, we believe that the person uh, will be able to pick up their hard skills. Um, so that's why we wait more on the her, people's passion, um, how devoted they are in the, in the existing problem. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, actually. Um, I mean, if we're hiring on behalf of our clients, we do have to include a certain set of hard skills. Mm -hmm. And then the, the degree of how much <laughs> can it be all the way to 100%, uh, depending on what our client requests. Um, but if I had free reign of hiring people, I think, yeah, I think uh, passion and um, like for whatever job they're doing or the industry, you know, we'll, 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 that means that they'll have passion to learn, right? Um, and I think chemistry is important too, you know, because if you're going to bring someone into your team and work together for eight hours a day, five days a week, you know, I think, I think chemistry is quite important. Um, so those are probably, you know, you're right. Those are probably like the two things that I ultimately end up looking at. Um, but yeah, because we work for our clients, we do have filters that they need to pass. But yeah, and I, I think that is interesting when we look at our generations, right? 20 years ago, it is kind of a one-way browsing behaviors, like what you have on the internet, uh, you're reading all the information. Not until 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there are social media. People can just pick up their phone and they post whatever, like a short video clip, or they just like put a statement on Twitter. So it is more like people are able to have a more equal power to share. And when you look at blockchain, it actually gives more power to individual consumers, how they process data, how they own their own data sets and bring it to the, to the chain and so on. So I, I, I would see this momentum as a um, liberty for more people to access and contribute and also to own have a stake in this whole ecosystem. Well, I think it is still too early uh, to really give a definition of Web3, but I'm interested to look at how we bring this new technology and to solve some real world problems. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very interesting to hear how, uh, whether it's for a global company or, uh, I mean, obviously both of your companies are global, um, but no matter the industry or the size, that uh, passion is still very important to adapt. To, and, and the culture fit, it sounds like, to adapt um, 
to these industry trends. So tracking back as well, uh, you said that a lot of these programs you had came up in the pandemic. Um, I'm interested to hear how the pandemic has impacted the workforce in terms of retention, hiring, or any advice you have to give. Yeah, great, great, great question. Uh, so interesting story. When the pandemic first started, I was right when I moved back to Los Angeles. So I actually worked out of there for two years. And so, you know, not only was I in a new market running a new team, we were running CRM operations for a really large uh, entertainment company, but we had to learn to do so remotely because we were all in lockdown. So everyone was working from home. So yeah, we, we definitely, I think by now, two, two, two plus years later, I think we all picked up a few more skills, um, you know, learning how to use new software platforms, et cetera. So that was probably like the first hurdle, <laughs> the really easier, the easier one to get through. How do we work? remotely with the team and accomplish our objectives. And then the company said, yes, we can work remotely. Now that's when things get really interesting, right? Because it means that companies can work remotely. Um, I, mean, I think a lot has changed. You know, we're, we're becoming more kind of like flexi work. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, uh, of a quote I read like 10, 15 years ago about like the internet, but it was um, something like work is an activity, not a place. And I don't know how many companies actually believe that before, but they sure do now, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, we're doing flexi work now. It's definitely impacted us. Um, the problem is, I think, and I think a lot of companies are facing this today. After two years of learning how to work in this new world of uncertainty, things are starting to be more clear and more people are starting to make life changes, whether it be moving places, moving companies, um, maybe even changing careers. Definitely putting a little bit of a talent crunch in our industry. Um, and so, you know, that's probably why I mentioned, you know, our company is now doubling down our efforts in our employee experience area. Um, really kind of sharpening that uh, retention strategy um, because, you know, our people is our business. So. And have you found that it's working or are you still experimenting with what works? Do you have any advice on what has worked so far in the last two years? Um, absolutely not. No, I mean, not that it's not working. We're certainly trying our best. Um, I think the data is still early. You know, I think the great uh, resignation just happened sometime during last year. So I'd say maybe the second half of 2021. So I think a lot of the effects um, that we're feeling are probably going to happen now, early 2022s. Um, so I guess we'll see what how it shakes out. Yeah. And boss going on, you have transferred almost entirely to remote working and even gave up your office, right? Do you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so as uh, I would call like audience has adopted uh, fully remote in early 2021 um, and we gave up our office. So basically everyone just worked from home, um, but still we provide some perks if they need to access the working space um, this is still an option for our employees. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a massive change um, in the workforce. So imagine like everyone can work remotely, meaning that some tech giants may hire uh, globally as they wish. Um, and the same for the employee. Uh, right now, they are not limited by the employers or any job opportunities within their home. Uh, but they can actually apply to overseas, even they still work at home, right? So it is actually a new hiring 
ecosystem, or I should say it is actually a new momentum that employees can look for jobs worldwide. And also as an employer, you can look for talents worldwide. So in particular, in our industry, digital first. So as long as you have inter- uh, access to the internet, uh, then you are able to perform. Yes, good and bad. I still see some uh, limitation in it because I actually spent uh, six months in London. Uh, actually, I, I planned for three months only, but due to some issue, I, I can't move back to Hong Kong. But now um, I'm, I'm back in Hong Kong and in between I spent another two weeks in Bangkok. At the end of the day, um, ad tech and media tech is about people, as we first discussed. Um, if you don't really know that local culture, uh, the types of uh, consumers, uh, the brands, how you localize the contents, uh, who are the publishers, you would still find a gap in between delivering ad tech business to cater the client's problem. So actually, we spoke with a couple of clients. Um, they would like to deliver international campaigns. Uh, there's specific practice in the U.S., but when it comes to the Far East, in Asia, pack, even like down in Australia, in Japan, they would need they need a lot of localization. And if you have someone, let's say, in the U.S., trying to think what the local team would need in Hong Kong, there could be some gap in between. So we may still need some people on the ground who really get to know what is the weather, um, what is the local hype, or what, what, what would be the buzzword within that location. Interesting sharing when I was in London, um, I spoke with a couple of friends that they are actually uh, going back to an office. They spent two months already in Portugal <laughs> uh, during the pandemic, and now they are moving back to London. And they see even like for local British, they would see a totally new vibe in the working space. And people actually moving back in town. They spent a year already uh, renting a big flat in the countryside. Now they have to trim down their uh, trim down their home size and moving back to the city. So, and the other day we actually talked about the new fresh bread rates. Imagine they spent two of the last three years studying remotely. So imagine we, as students, back then, we really enjoyed social time with our friends to building our lifelong friends since the college. But now this generation, they're coming out to work and they actually spent two years back then at home. It would be a new types of culture that they will bring into the company. And we're interesting and we're actually looking forward to how to adopt this as well. So enter the metaverse. <laughs> These young graduates are going to come into the workforce and they're like, they completely know how to work remotely. Like they'll be way more comfortable than any of us were because we had to adapt, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but then in the reverse, I guess, um, like you mentioned, like a lot of places you need localization mm-hmm. talent, you know, then, then people have to work in the market or maybe physically, yeah, they, they, you know, these young graduates might have a hard time <laughs> adjusting to that, which is a really interesting, to your point, it's a really interesting um, kind of dynamic to see in the next few years. But what happens, I guess if I had to like, if I had to guess, right, I would say, um, you know, companies will probably need to figure out what roles can be remote mm-hmm. because then you'll have your hiring process yes. there and what roles will have to be kind of on the ground in person. 
Um, so there might be, you know, more clarity around that. Whereas probably in the past, you know, obviously that wasn't applicable. You know, it would be, it would be geo geographically bound. So yeah, that's that's really interesting. And also the perks on how you retain talents, right? In the past, you have a nice big office, mm -hmm. fancy office facilities. You have like um, rooms for games, for gatherings. But right now, um, what we treasure maybe the flexibility uh, on the work time, right? We may have to do with our kids at home, our families at home. We, we may not need a fancy office, but we may need a proper setup at home, like internet, um, you know, more powerful computers or uh, some other products that allow them to have uh, access to gym um, and so on and so forth to help them to cope with the work from home environments. Yeah. Though so talking to some of my friends who uh, manage teams, they said that people who come into the office, even though it's empty, are the single ones. So they're, they're bored, <laughs> nothing to do. So they just go to the office and same here in my working space, mm -hmm. like the people who come in consistently all day, all night, it's especially with the pandemic, are the single ones. So it could be a bit of a drawback. People do miss the social mm -hmm. interaction in, in the office as well, right? So let's uh, wrap up this last question. I would love to end with a little concrete advice or actionables for other business owners um, or agency owners who might be listening to the podcast. Um, you know, uh, especially if when it comes to topics like leadership and, and retention, do you what would you advise for them? Yeah, I mean, this is this has been a really great discussion. I think we've covered uh, a ton of topics around various things in terms of like working in pandemic, how do you grow your teams, build your teams, how do you hire, companies culture. You know, I, based on everything I heard today, uh, it pretty much affirms for me that companies need to be people first. And so again, that definition is really simple. Um, you know, how do you care about your people and how do you help them succeed, right? And so like your last point in terms of people working from home and, you know, what are, what are their new needs? Like maybe a fitness subsidy so that they can get some exercise. Right? Maybe, maybe it's um, looking into some sort of mental health program for a lot of people dealing with, uh, I guess, what we call that Zoom fatigue or work from home fatigue or social isolation, right? And hence why people come into the office because they want to socialize. But yeah, I think just really understanding uh, what are the needs of our people and then not just from that element, but also in their career. What are their needs there? How do we create challenging roles uh, that are achievable? Um, for our people, but then eventually make our customers happy and will help our, our company's financial performance, right? So, yeah, I think people first is definitely the way to go. Thank you. That's a great summary. And what about you? Um, I think as a leader, especially in this uh, tech market industry, I think we should demonstrate um, the problems to our, to our team and let them come up with a solution rather than having a leader to pitch a solution to the team and let them execute. Because oftentimes we found that the creativity actually lies between the teams that they would come up with something interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, let me give you an example. Like uh, we always talk about how data can be applied uh, in programmatic advertising. We always want to present what is the existing problems, like the, the tracking issue, the trust, um, the privacy issues. And actually the young team came up with some interesting idea because they really know what their uh, touch points, their daily touch points, no matter on social media, Instagram, TikTok, or how they browse the internet, how they interact, even like how they spend the time on Discord, games, 
and different cons uh, consoles, right? So um, maybe my skills would obsolete when time flies go up. I won't deny on that. But it is always important for us to be crystal clear on the problems that we're solving and explain this problem, why it's important to the team, and they would come up with something interesting for sure. Thank you. That's also another great perspective. Um, so kind of letting the team have more credibility solving the solutions and coming up with the solutions, right? Yeah, empowering teams. Yeah, okay. that's, that's great. That's perfect. That's exactly what I think the workforce today want. Yeah. And sometimes not sitting right in front of you in your office. How do you empower them? You know, set them on the right path. That's great. Yeah. So thank you so much, Boston Lawrence, for coming in and offering these inspiring insights on leadership. Let's conclude here and thank you for tuning in to our listeners. For more podcast episodes from the like audience, hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to leave us a review and tag us on social. Transcripts will be uploaded on our website's podcast page. And for more information about Alike Audience, please visit our website at www.alikeaudience.com. Thank you.